0: Well, as I said before, we're gonna do a little bit different today, but I just have a, a question for you guys. I don't know about you, but growing up, especially in kindergarten, we had to play this game called Telephone. Any, Just by raising a hand, any of you guys ever played or heard about the game Telephone before? It's a pretty simple game that uh, people often do in kindergarten or in preschool. And the concept of Telephone is, is, like I said, it's rather straightforward. And what you do is you get a whole bunch of little kids to sit in a circle, which that's probably the hardest part of the game, right? Getting kids to actually sit down and be still. And so once you've mastered this miracle of getting the kids to sit down and be still in a circle, then what you do is is the teacher will go and the teacher will say something like, Yellow bus." and it is the responsibility for the next child to then repeat that phrase or that word to the next individual and it goes on and on and on around the circle till hopefully it makes the message makes its way back to the teacher and more times than not what will happen is is the story will begin off or the message will begin off by saying yellow bus And by the time it gets back to the teacher, it'll be pink elephant or something ridiculous like that. Now, as a kid, I wasn't as sharp in understanding why we played this game other than the silly things that would come out of it. And it would oftentimes be fun to change the message just to see what can come out of it. But I do remember this much, that the teacher, at least in my class, would remind us the importance of being able to Listen well and speak clearly. Listen well and speak clearly. Now for me, really, that's where the game of telephone lived and died, was in that single moment of a kindergarten classroom. So as you can imagine, I was quite surprised when I heard of the game telephone being brought up again in college. Now you might be asking yourself, why in the world are you learning about the game telephone in college? Well, we've all seen some of the silly degrees that they teach in college these days, but, but I was in a secular college and the game of telephone was specifically coming out and being discussed once more to do something that I was surprised to hear, and that was to discredit God's word. You see, it was explained to me while I was in a college class that the Bible is much like the game of telephone. That yes, there might have been a good message that originated with Jesus and his apostles or the prophets and the writers of scripture that we know of or think of. But that message has since long been lost by history and the Bible and its text that we have today cannot be trusted because like the game of telephone, it's been repeated and translated so many times for thousands of years, that for this reason, the Bible is an untrustworthy document. So the question that I'm asking for us today is, are they right? Can we trust the Bible? In fact, there was an article written in the Huffington Post titled, The Bible Doesn't Say Anything, And the author, Ryan Fitzgerald, of this article wrote this. The Bible is a text that was compiled over the course of a thousand years, being edited and reshaped the entire whole time, even up until the 17th century. It hadn't been finalized by Protestants. Now, what you're seeing there is a very common sentiment within the secular world's understanding of Scripture. But what I would say to this is this person has been very poorly educated. And that this person is perpetuating a common lie that people are told about Scripture. And what I'm going to explain to you guys today is that, yes, I believe that the Bible is incredibly trustworthy. So in order to do that, I want to talk a little bit about the Bible. And and this is, again, going to be a little bit more teaching-heavy, and then we'll get into the preaching, the more meaty part of the sermon a little bit later. But I want to start with a question to you guys, and is, how did we get the Bible to begin with? You see, many of us, because we live in a world that is increasingly secular, we forget to realize that this book came about through a certain process. I think if anything, because our country or because the world for the most part up until about a century ago was so rooted in scripture, was so it had a Judeo-Christian perspective, many of us took for granted that God's word was much a part of the fabric of our culture. But because God's word has been taken out of our culture, and because our culture is much more secular now, now people are starting to question scripture even more. So I ask again the question, how did we get the Bible? If you didn't know, the Bible is composed of 66 books, and I'll put this on the screen for you so you can see this. Now, it's composed of 66 books books with two main segments of scripture. And I'm sure many of you have heard the division between scripture, between the Old and what Testament? New Testament. The Old and the New Testament. Well, I'm sure many of you know that the Old Testament is before jesus and the new testament is during the life of jesus and then the first century church so after jesus dies resurrects and ascends into heaven So what's interesting, though, is that the Old Testament is also what we understand as the Hebrew Bible. Oftentimes people say the word Torah, but that's actually a misrepresentation of the Hebrew Bible because the Torah is actually the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. So the, the whole entire Hebrew Bible is known as the Tanakh. That is the whole Hebrew Bible, and the Greek version of that Hebrew Bible would be called the Septuagint, or the LXX, and the reason why it's called the Septuagint is because after Alexander the Great, if you've heard of him in history, conquered the known world, Greek became the common language of the entire world. So Jews in particular, Hebrew people in particular, spoke more commonly Greek then they did Hebrew because the Jewish people started to spread throughout the world. And many of the Jewish people spoke Greek instead of Hebrew. So the Septuagint was created as the Greek Hebrew Bible. Now, when the New Testament comes about, the New Testament is 27 books. And it's predominantly written in Greek, which would have been interesting because Jesus would have been speaking Aramaic in Palestine, but it was predominantly written in Greek, which again is the common language for that time. But what needs to be known is when was the Bible completed? Does anybody know when the Bible was actually completed? Well, the last book within scripture that we believe was, was written was, is the book of Revelation. Now, it's not always true that the Bible books appear chronologically. Because, in fact, there are Bible books that come in the middle of Scripture that are older than other books. But Revelation is most likely one of the last books written in Scripture. And basically, all this to say that the New Testament was written within the first century. So between the moment that Jesus died... And the last book was written, was probably a span of no more than 50 to 60 years. And all of the Bible books were written within that span. Now, another important question to ask is how is the Bible interpreted? How is the Bible interpreted? so if you didn't know this going back to that game of telephone right what's the problem with that analogy when referring to scripture well it assumes that the bible is first translated in one language then lost then translated into another then lost and then translated again lost translated lost translated lost lost, until you finally get to the bible that we have today so someone might say something like this, well, the Bible was first written in Hebrew, then it was translated to Greek, then from Greek it went to Latin, and then from Latin it went to an old English language, and then we've had many, many translations since then. So the Bible's been translated five times before it even gets to us. That is 100% false. It's 100% false. In fact, the way that modern Bible Day scholars try to translate and write the Bible is they go and they find the oldest existing documents in the original language. So in fact, whether you realize this or not, when young people like me decide to go to seminary school, they try to teach us Hebrew and Greek so that we ourselves can also go back to the original languages and study God's Word from the original texts. So that is the process that the Bible scholars use, if you're a good Bible scholar. So for every single new translation that comes about, whether it be in Spanish or English or all the hundreds of translations that are out there, What a good scholar does is they go back to the oldest documents that they have, and then from those documents, they translate into the language of their day. Now, here's what's really cool about that, is over the years, every hundred years or so, or every 50 years or so, there is a new discovery that is found somewhere usually in Israel. And these new discoveries allow us to continue to accurately translate and understand scripture. So for instance, I'm sure many of you heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Well, there is another discovery that happened somewhere in 1979, and these were called the ketef Hinam Amulets. And what was amazing about this discovery in 1979 was these amulets were literally made out of silver, and they were miniature scrolls, right? And the dating of these amulets were incredibly old. They were somewhere, I think, 1,000 B.C., so very far removed from us, over 3,000-year-old amulets. And when they unfolded the scroll, they noticed that in the scroll there was words written in Hebrew from the book of Numbers. And what do they do? They read that Hebrew text, and sure enough, it lines up perfectly with how we understand the book of Numbers in Hebrew from uh, from the books that we have. So constantly, Bible scholars are referring to these documents in order to get the scriptures that we have today. So then the next question is asked, why are there so many translations of the Bible? Have you ever heard somebody or have you ever asked yourself that question? Gosh, you, you, you go to BibleGateway.com and you look up English Bibles and you get like 30, 40, 50 to choose from, it seems like, right? Have you ever wondered why there's so many Bible translations? Or maybe you know somebody that's like, I will only read the King James Version of the Bible. Every other Bible I'm not going to read. Uh, there's some people that think that way. Well, to make the matter very, very, very simple... If I were to ask you guys, how many of you guys know how to speak English in Shakespeare-type language, nobody would raise your hand, right? For the most part. If anything, you're now reliving the trauma of high school of trying to read Othello in class or Romeo and Juliet in class. And knowing how much you stumbled then, you can imagine how much you would still stumble today. Well, part of the reason why there are so many Bible translations is just over the simple fact that language changes. I mean, if you're old enough to remember how you spoke in the 1960s, it's very different than how we speak in 2022. Yes, we could understand each other, right? But certain words change. And none other than the song that I remember singing even as I was a kid of the Flintstones is very different now. When we used to sing, for instance, we'll have a gay old time. It's very different than today, right? We don't say those things anymore because those words mean different things. So for that reason, There are different Bible translations that exist so that people for today can understand the Bible. So for those of you that love the King James Version, you might be surprised to know this, that the King James Version was written for commoners to understand in that day. But today it takes what? It takes somebody who's intellectual. It takes somebody who knows everything shakespearean english to be able to understand it and read it easily Where back in the day when king james bible came out it would have been simple for most people to read it so then i the question could be asked which translation should i read and well i think the simple answer is read the one that you can understand Don't read a Spanish Bible if you don't know Spanish. Don't read a German Bible if you don't know German. (laughs) Just read a Bible that you understand. Now, to keep it simple, because there are different sects out there of Christianity that have, in my opinion, manipulated and corrupted God's word, There are some translations that are better than others. So three translations that I'm gonna recommend that you read if you're not reading it already are the New International Version. That's usually what I preach from on Sundays. So if you wanna really follow along with me, the NIV is the way to go. Another version that I really strongly recommend is the New Living Translation, the New Living Translation, the NLT. The NLT is probably the easiest to read. It's the most simplified. So if you, it, it kind of leaves all of the, the big words out, and it, and it breaks it down in very simple ways. So if you have children, especially, I would encourage you to maybe consider buying them an NLT Bible, because they'll be able to understand it. And then the last Bible that I really recommend, that I think is a beautiful translation, if you like King James, you'll like this Uh, version of the bible eugene i know you like reading this version and it's the english standard version the ESV, the english standard version now there are other good versions out there the nas the nasb is a good version the holman's version is a good version but those are the three that i typically recommend to people that i think you'll be you'll 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 do well with those translations so then i think it is worth thinking about and asking how did it become 66 books? You see, I am sometimes asked, does the Bible have one author or multiple authors? And when people ask me this question, I say, yes. <laughs> and you might think, well, what does yes mean? I asked you two separate questions. Does the Bible have one author or multiple authors? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> and why do I think the answer is yes? Yes. Well, because I believe that the Bible was guided by the Holy Spirit through man, that it was guided by the Holy Spirit through man. So what do I mean by that? I mean that the Bible is inspired by God, that it is the words of God to us, for us, the listener, to hear, but that God used different men in history to be able to write its text. And through this beautiful process of using people, we have this collection of books. If you didn't know, it took about 1,500 years worth of time between when the first book of the Bible was written and the last book of the Bible was written. So, between the first book of the Old Testament and the last book. Of the New Testament. It's generally thought of. As about a 1500 year period. And what's amazing about that. Is that through that 1500 year period. You have this beautiful. Singular message. That you will have a prophecy in scripture. That will take 400 years to be fulfilled. Or even longer. And yet it happens. And yet, God's word remains true. And yet, it's a unifying, singular message by many authors, but by one guiding force, the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to get into some of the heart of today's message. Because here's the thing, I could speak a lot on the technicalities of the Bible, I could speak a lot on the different factors of history with Scripture. And as good as that could be, and as helpful as some of that information is for us to know, the real big question is, is, well, why even read it? Why even read God's Word, right? If you think about it within that way, why even read God's Word? If I were to ask you a question is there a single Bible verse that sums up all of Scripture? If I were to ask you, is there a single Bible verse that sums up all of Scripture, what would you say? Maybe you would think of John 3.16. Maybe you would think out of a text from the book of Jonah. Maybe you would think of something, I'm not quite sure I think there are many verses that could be good candidates. But when I think of a verse that sums up scripture, I think of oftentimes 2 Samuel 14, 14. And it says this, and I've read this to you before. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. The reason why this, for me, speaks to me loudly is because the story of this verse comes at a very difficult time in two people's lives. If you didn't know, the words that were spoken here come from a lowly woman. Someone who is in, on the brink of losing her whole entire family because her two sons have been fighting... And one of them was killed, and the other one was set to be imprisoned and punished through capital punishment. And because of that, this woman was going through turmoil in her life. And she was pleading on behalf of King David to save and pardon her son so that her legacy would not be lost. And she uttered these words to David, who also was in a very similar situation with his two sons fighting, and then with his son fighting him and she uttered these words that i think encapsulate the heart of god in our present situation that we are like water that has been spilled on the ground that it cannot be recovered that there is nothing that we can do to take ourselves out of our broken fallen dying state of life But that through God's great love, what happens? He figures out a way to allow a son who is banished to become restored. That, for me, sums up what scripture is about. That, for me, sums up what the gospel is about. So ultimately, when asking the question, can we trust the Bible? As beautiful as it is to know all the histories and how these things originated, I think more so, it's important for us to ask the question, well, does the Bible speak to the condition of our hearts? Does this Bible answer something that is deep within our soul? Something that we know deep down inside that we all struggle with. And I think all of us struggle with a desire to be forgiven. A desire to feel whole and restored and loved by God. You see, many people when they read this book, they get hung up on all the do's and all the don'ts. They get hung up on all of the history stories that they would like to go a different way. But by doing that, they prove the very same problem that we see within the book of Genesis, that we often like to be our own gods, that we often like to take the place of God. But you see, I think if you read this book with a willing eye in a humble heart, what you see are not a list of do's and don'ts, but rather what you see through the pages of this beautiful book is a love letter to you, is a story of God's redemption for your life. You see, the book of the Bible, though comprised of 66 books and many authors, is truly God's redemptive history for your life. That God loves you deeply, And that just as it says in 2 Samuel 14, 14, that he works out ways to bring restoration in your life. It's why Paul reminds Timothy, pastor of the church in Ephesus, and a young man himself, these words in 2 Timothy 3, 16, that all scripture is God-breathed, And useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible is God's inspired word to us and encourages us to live good lives that honor God. But it also rebukes us and corrects us when we are going astray. Church, we can make no mistake, we need the rebukes of God's word in our lives just as often as we need the encouragements. Now I remember as a youth being given a funny acrostic over what the Bible means and someone decided to to make an acrostic of the Bible that it meant our basic instructions before leaving earth. And I think in many, many ways that is exactly true. But the problem that we oftentimes face with scriptures is not that we, 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 we hate what we read, but rather we don't take the time to even read it, to even allow us to be confronted with this beautiful, beautiful message. And I think for many people they get hung up more on the fact that the Bible confronts us. That the Bible, through God's word, makes a claim in our life. That it makes a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. And where our state is without Christ. It's why A.W. Tozer wrote, wrote these words. The word of God well understood and religiously obeyed is the shortest route to spiritual perfection. And we must not select a few favorite passages to the exclusion of others. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. Nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. The Bible confronts us. Don't get me wrong, church. I understand that there are people out there that have manipulated Scripture, that have twisted it to justify their own versions of what they think is right, and in doing so have taken something good and have corrupted it to be something evil. But really, if we're honest with ourselves, we see people do that every day. And not just with the scripture, right? We see, we see where, where there is a person, there will be someone who tries to twist the laws in order for those laws to benefit themselves. Whether it is someone who does a criminal act, someone that you know at work who always seems to take power and abuse it. Those people exist everywhere and not just in the church. But make no mistake, they're also in the church. And there are people who have taken this beautiful book and twisted it to mean things that God never intended. Here's the truth, that while the Bible might confront your life, or it better said maybe that the Bible does confront your life, it does it with a heart of love. It does it in a way where it tries to always restore Just as I read before from 2 Samuel. That it always tries to figure out a way to leave you whole and encouraged. You see, I read God's word because I need to read God's word. I believe that if I'm going to grow in my faith, then I need to take seriously the words that God has spoken into my life. As many of you know, when I first started entering into ministry, I eventually took a job in Georgia to work at a church over there. And while I was at that church in Georgia, I had began a new relationship, not just with this church, but with a special lovely lady who eventually became my (laughs) wife. And we're going to be celebrating 10 years of marriage this November. So... During this time, though, we had a long-distance relationship with each other. She was living in South Florida, and I was living in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. And while I was in Atlanta, Georgia, and she was in South Florida, we got into a habit of writing letters to each other. And uh, in a world where it's so easy to send a text message, it was nice to be able to write a letter. And I remember she would send letters to me in the mail, and I would be so excited to receive those letters. And I would read those letters over and over and over again because they were so special to me. And they weren't just special because of the words that were written. What made those letters extra special for me was because I had a relationship with the author. See, the relationship with the author made the words of that letter special so that whenever I doubted this person's Love for me, or, or or desire for me, I would reread that letter as a reminder to me to what the author feels about me. The Bible is very similar to that, I think, but so much better that we get to read this book because we have a relationship with the author, and that through reading this book, just like those love letters, we get to be reminded. Of the author's heart for us, the author's good desire for our lives, and the author's desire to see our lives full. Scripture is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing, and we must never forget its message. I know for many of us, we oftentimes think of the do's and don'ts of of the Bible but I want to encourage and invite each of you to know for yourself the texts that God writes to each of you, to know his full redemptive story in your life. And just to give away a spoiler, I read the last page of the Bible, and I want to let everybody know that everything's going to be okay And it it turns out pretty good, the end of the story. Uh, But I want you to experience that for yourself. So can we trust the Bible? Absolutely we can. Absolutely we can. Because we have a God who who helped influence it and write it. And who desires for each of us to know for ourselves and be reminded daily His great love. For each of us. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray.